to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension soybean specialist, Dr. Sean Castile, and Extension corn specialist, Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode, Sean and Dan welcome Dr. Shalimar Armstrong, Associate Professor of Soil Conservation and Management at Purdue, to discuss soil health practices, the impacts of certain cover crops, and the emerging carbon credit markets. Look at pros and cons, and if you get a system, uh, a situation where there's a contract that's paid for practice, you can't really lose there. Uh, because you get paid for a practice that you probably were going to do anyway if you're conservation-minded. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. Your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today. New research, new uses, demand creation, bringing dollars back to the farm. Check it out at yourcheckoff.org. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, who's your ag today's, Eric Pfeiffer. We're here today from the Indiana Corn and Soybean Innovation Center at Purdue here in West Lafayette. And we thank the Indiana Corn and Soybean Organizations for sponsoring our podcast today. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. And of course, always here with the stars of the show, Dr. Sean Castile, Extension Soybean Specialist at Purdue. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. And Dan Quinn, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Dr. Dan, hello. Hey, Eric. So, uh, first off, you know, it's winter. We don't we don't need to go through the crop reports like we typically do. We already know where yield came in at record highs for both corn and soybeans. So, a uh, pretty good year. We're hearing about a lot of folks from 2021 just pretty darn happy. But, uh, you know, 2022 rolls through. We've already talked about the input stuff. But uh, I know it's been kind of a busy meeting season here for, for farmers and, and for you guys. Uh, Dan, you were just talking about being uh, at a meeting in Gibson County just, you know, this week. What are some of the the questions you're getting? What are some of the things that are on farmers' minds right now as we uh, get set here? Because planting season is not that far away. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of beating the dead horse quite a bit um, that we've done in the past. But it's inputs. It's fertilizer that is on the minds of, of farmers. So we've been doing a lot of, I've been doing a lot of meetings just on, you know, optimum rates and timing and, and trying to do everything we can help farmers with from a nitrogen standpoint. Um, but, yeah, input costs are are high on their mind um, number one but you know doing a lot of these meetings across the state you know recent one in gibson county you know a lot of farmers are pretty happy with this last year Um, i talked to some guys that just said you know this is the best year i've ever had um, since i've been farming and you know that's really good to hear Um, so even though there is some issues with the inputs um, this year um, concerns on that aspect but hearing from the farmers that they've had you know just a phenomenal year is really good to hear and and you were throwing out some numbers earlier from that part of the state and they were pretty darn good yeah you know you think about guys in southwest um, indiana which typically we have a lot more wheat we have a lot more Mm -hmm. double crop soybeans um, and corn and and guys you know giving me numbers that they had over 100 bushel wheat they had over 50 55 bushel double crop soybeans and you know uh, corn reels that were over 250 bushel i mean that's just phenomenal for guys that were able to get three crops um, in in two years not bad, Sean. Yeah. For double crop soybeans. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. I mean, whenever you can get 100 plus bushel wheat and get 60 bushel plus uh, double crop beans, that that I mean, usually out outpins a 300 bushel corn crop in a single season, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, my two crops are doing. I, I know it takes two <laughs> crops to beat your one crop, Dan. But you know, we do what we can. 
Well, uh, gentlemen, we, we decided, since you know we don't need to go through all of the reports and everything else, we decided to bring in a special guest this month on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. And, Sean, I'll let you introduce our special guest here. Yeah, you know, we need to you know, raise the level of the competency <laughs> in this, this room today. And uh, certainly we've done that. Uh, Shalimar Armstrong has is, is joined us today. Shalimar's been with us you know, for five plus six years or, or better yet and just has a strong applied research program that deals with soil management, soil conservation you see a lot that comes in with cover crop management and how that impacts uh, nitrogen nutrients and all aspects of that so Shalomar's joined us today and we're going to uh, ask him a few questions and he's going to enlighten us with the, the wonderful world of cover crops and what's below our ground and and i have to to hit you you mentioned oh don't ask that but i'm going to what what it, define soil health for me oh, <laughs> well first of all glad to be here uh it's, it's a pleasure uh, you so, say that now. We'll see <laughs> after 30 minutes here. I told you I wasn't throwing up at softballs today, all right? I'm hitting, I'm yeah. hitting you hard here. Yeah. I, I think, I, you know, the way that we define it in, in my soil and water conservation class is that soil health um, uh, consists of several components. And I think one that's most important is, is management, right? Management uh, by the operator or by the owner that then fosters an environment of, uh, you know, a habitat for the living portion of the soil. Uh, you, you want also that management to affect the physical uh, components of that soil, chemical and biological. For uh, sustainable, sustainably um, produced agriculture goods, right? So uh, I can't think of soil health without thinking about sustainability. Uh, some people say regenerative ag, but I, I like sustainability because farmers that I interact with uh, talk about the fact that they want to do practices that will sustain their lifestyle for generations to come. And uh, we've found that uh, that's very closely related to uh, taking care of the soil and, and, and generating carbon, which is the master variable for soil health. And, and you, you bring up carbon. There's been a lot of talk about carbon lately. <laughs> Uh, here over the past couple of years especially, just a lot of talk. With all of that talk and with the incentive programs that companies have come out with and the government is looking, there, there are a number of different ways to, to right. go about this. Right. I guess the simple question is, is it peaking interest in some of these farmers that have been maybe shying away from cover crops, no-till, those types of practices here in the past? Is it, is it peaking some interest now? I would say yes. Uh, you, you can't avoid it. Uh, although the, the market is uh, in its infancy stages, uh, it, it has the potential uh, to, to peak great interest. So anytime that we could find a practice or, or a market that helps to absorb some of the cost of uh, adopting conservation, we're going in the right direction. Now, uh, the market is kind of volatile, needs some regulation to it. Uh, that's fine, but I, I would say to farmers, don't be afraid of it. Uh, attack it just like you're trying to pick uh, out your, your corn hybrid or your, or your soybean. Or your soybean. <laughs> he likes to pick on my soybeans, so he saw me looking at it. He's like, oh, I better throw that right. other crop into this. So, you know, uh, attack it. Attack it. Put, you know, get a team of uh, advisors around you uh, that are informed about the market. Uh, you know, look at pros and cons. And if you get a system, uh, a situation, where there's a contract that's pay for practice, you can't really lose there. 
because you get paid for a practice that you probably were going to do anyway if you're conservation-minded and if you happen to, um, you know, because of compaction or something like that, have to, to rip uh, a till, and this is something that you have to do to make the ground feasible for the spring, uh, you may you may lose it. There may be a setback couple of years, but hey, you'll be getting you wouldn't be getting paid for that those setback years, but um, those other years that you were able to do it because you you adopted the practice uh, could offset that cost. There's some things that kind of hit hit my mind. Dan and I talk about this from uh, most every time, right? There's decisions that we make that are agronomic decisions and that have yield benefits, and then we talk about those that have okay, does that really push a farmer or a consultant to give that recommendation, or is it the uh, economics? Or then mm -hmm. we also bring you talking about conservation, and I'll go ahead and switch it a little bit to environmental, right? So we mm -hmm. got agronomic, we got environmental, we got economic. And I think back, um, uh, back to the 1980s and the stories that I heard of how no-till really came on in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And so solid-seeded mm -hmm. soybeans. I mean, I got proceedings in my office. And, and what really came out of that, it, from my understanding, I think Dan and I were at Southwest yeah. India a few weeks ago at another talk, and the, the comment was made that we, we didn't do that per se for environmental conservation reasons. We did because it was one less trip across the field or two less that's trips right. across the field. We had fuel shortage. We were trying to economic times. And so that's what really drove that. And then having a benefit that now is realized in terms of, hey, we can get the same yield or pretty close to it and maintain our soil, not lose it off the side slopes or anything like that. So I think whenever we have today's discussion about cover crops, soil health, soil management, it, it probably has still a drive of, okay, what's the economic? Uh, but hopefully we have the agronomic and, and ultimately environmental uh, benefits out of that. Certainly, certainly. It's, uh, I like to say it's a, it's a system. Sure. Right. It's the management of a system, understanding inputs, output, profit margin, right? Um, and so w when you have that thought pattern, I, I look at it, you have levers. You mm -hmm. have an agronomic lever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it might be nutrient acquisition, uh, you know, nutrient uptake, nitrogen uptake, phosphorus uptake, sulfur uptake. You have to think about that when, when you're managing. Then uh, there may be an environmental uh, lever uh, where you're in a sensitive area. Let's say you're out uh, Waterloo, Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's phosphorus sensitive. So you have to think about your management that you don't exacerbate the, the phosphorus problem going into the Great Lakes, right? And then, and then of course, uh, economics is what sends their put food on the table and send the children to Purdue, mm -hmm. right? So uh, <laughs> you, you can't ignore that. That's, a, that's one of the three components of sustainability is uh, e economically strong. So uh, I think when you think about it as a system um, and attack it that way and a leverage to pull to balance the system that you protect your profit margin. Uh, that's the way I like to think about, uh, you know, cropping systems and alternative systems that, that uh, adopt conservation pro uh, practices. Yeah, I would, I would say the, just from the meetings that I've been doing around the state is there is peaked in, you know, peaked interest in these things, um, whether it be no-till, but, you know, we'll, I'll transition here a little bit to cover crops um, and ask about cover crops, but, you know, implementing cover crops, you know, a lot of these meetings I've done and then, you know, with the farm show, we did the, you know, the soil health podcast and talked about cover crops, you know, and I've done some work back in my PhD at the University of Kentucky and you know, I've always been really intrigued in, in how uh, Shalimar does a lot of really applied research on the cover crop side, but I've got where I even mentioned 
you know, slightly in some of my talks. This <laughs> might not even be the main, you know, topic of my talk. I'll talk about cover crops and then I'll just get peppered with questions mm. about this one slide that I showed um, with cereal rye work. Um, so I'm getting a lot of, you know, questions from farmers across the state that maybe haven't used cover crops in mm -hmm. the past, but they want to, you know, they may, they're interested in it. They're interested in more of these sustainable practices and like you said it's it's everywhere you can't avoid it right you know it's coming from the government aspect and all these different funding agencies and it's all around you um, so the farmers are interested in that you know a kind of a, a question I have you know I'm curious of your thoughts too is you know farmers from the corn side you know mm -hmm. I want to use cover crops and I don't know where to start you know what are some kind of your recommendations or, or things that are important for guys that are just getting into the cover crop space yeah, the, the way I like to approach it uh, for what I would call a, a novice, someone who's just starting, uh, maybe have an interest, they're just starting. First of all, you know, where are you located? What does your system look like? And what do you need, right? So if you need erosion control, you don't want a cover crop that, that does not overwinter, meaning uh, you plant it in, in the fall, it grows a little bit, um, it lays dormant, and then when it warms up in the spring, it grows again very rigorously. Uh, that gives you ultimate fall and spring uh, erosion cover. If you're in a place in a tile drain landscape uh, and you're trying to reduce nitrate loss, um, uh, again, you want something that's going to grow uh, in, in the fall and the spring uh, that's going to assimilate that, take up that nitrogen, hold it in place. Um, and when I say hold it in place, when a plant takes up the nitrogen, it's, it assimilates it into proteins and so forth. So if it's in the plant structure, it, it can't be leached uh, to the tile drain, and it, it can't be uh, denitrified, you know, emitted to the atmosphere as a gas. So you're holding on. You, you're temporarily stabilizing uh, that nitrogen if you're in that type of system. So, you know, one thing that we've learned is it, it's system, uh, a systems approach is important. So let's, let's give an example. Let's say we're in... Benton County, poorly drained soil, right, and, and we are tile drained, right? So one of the concerns is maybe nitrogen loss. You want to reduce that. Um, you, you, you want, I would, I would say, um, before corn, you want to think about a cover crop that can give you some nitrogen uptake but not produce a residue that's high in carbon uh, because what that carbon is going to do uh, is in turn, it's, it's going to most likely, depending on the CNA ratio, uh, immobilize nitrogen, which then hurts hurts the acquisition of nitrogen by your corn, right? And so now your conservation practice is affecting your agronomics, right? And and so we've learned to to think about the system and think about can we rotate the cover crop with the cash crop? Can we go something like CNA ratio, like a legume? let's say, crimson um, clover, balanza clover, right, before that corn is going to fix nitrogen from the atmosphere. Um, it's, it's not going to uh, generate a high CNN ratio residue, so you're not going to have the immobilization problem. Um, you'll be able to easily terminate it, uh, and then you plant your corn, and you just got to have your planter system set up for high residue. Uh, and then you, you have a nice, uh, I think about a four-by-one relay, you have a nice uh, baton handoff of nutrients, um, and you still get some of those soil health measures, right? But then if you're coming before soybeans, they're a little um, tougher. 
I would say, relative, uh, un, you know, not as sensitive as, as corn. Uh, so you can go with something like cereal, right, which is going to give you, uh, you know, very good nitrogen uptake. It's going to generate a higher uh, seeding ratio. You're going to get some immobilization. Uh, but in, in a normal year, let's say a normal, right, uh, average temp, average precip distributed and decently, uh, not all in the spring, right, uh, you won't have an impact on yield. And so here it is, you have your cash crop system uh, in concert with your cover crop system, which I think uh, makes for the best long-term sustainability. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Elmar, I want to follow up a little bit. Um, the seed-in ratio, so you're talking carbon to nitrogen ratio, and so one of the big issues with that ahead of, of, ahead of corn and honestly ahead of soybeans is the you talked about immobilizing. So what we're talking about is taking up nitrogen, and uh, I've dealt with sulfur for a number of years, and I think that's occurring as well. Yes. So uh, we're in a world where nitrogen's double price, right? And mm -hmm. so, hey, I'm going to make sure we're not leaching that nitrate. I'm going to take it up, and then everyone's like, okay, good. It's going to be available for my corn crop. Not quite if you've got a high <laughs> carbon to nitrogen ratio. So right. you're making this implication. I just want to further the point that, like, if you're using cereal rye, a very high carbon type cover crop, and depending on when you terminate, that could be detrimental to a corn crop uh, establishment, mm -hmm. uh, nitrogen need, or just you actually need to put more nitrogen out there. So maybe elaborate a little bit on that, and then uh, maybe we can touch back on the soybean side. Yeah, so when I first started out uh, researching uh, cover crops, it, you know, the inclusion of cover crops into traditional corn and soybean systems, I was thinking cereal, cereal, cereal. Why? Because uh, it's kind of dummy proof. You mm. can plant it late and still get a good green cover uh, in the spring. Uh, you can plant it early and definitely dominate the landscape and protect from erosion and so forth. But I soon found that cereal has a property, uh, 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 ability to really scavenge nitrogen from the soil profile. Mm -hmm. I mean, significantly reduced down to two and a half feet. Sure. You know, in this area, your tile drain is at three feet. So uh, its roots are, are down at three feet deep, right? right? Uh, working, scavenging nitrogen. Uh, that's great environmentally, but agronomically, um, your, your corn plant, now, let me let me turn let me turn the day. Your corn plant so is weak. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm no, going to say it for you. It, <laughs> so if you you know what percentage of nitrogen is actually taken up uh, that you apply as fertilizer by corn? What would you say? Oh, it's Dan. In use efficiency, it's anywhere from forty to fifty percent. Okay, yeah. so there's another fifty percent uh, that that comes from the soil. Right now, if you have a, a very aggressive cereal growing, it's going to tap into some of that fifty percent, and based on our study, it's only get, it's only going to give back fifty ten uh, percent of what it took up. So if it took up fifty pounds, it's giving you that corn, that subsequent corn, only five pounds. Mm -hmm. So now that corn is is out of a lot of nitrogen that it would normally depend on if the cereal was not there, and so we found that that was antagonistic. Okay. A couple of ways you can deal with that, and that that lends itself to immobilization uh, and just not a good transfer, uh, passing the baton uh, to, of nitrogen to the corn. So you could plant uh, your cereal in a precise way, mm -hmm. using the technology that's already in your your barn, RTK guidance. Right, uh, you have a drill, and and if you have great tape, 
duct tape, right? <laughs> Listen, you can do precision planting, right? And you leave a row where the corn would, would grow in the spring, would be planted in the spring, and then you put cover crops on the other row. So that's about a 15 uh, inch gap that you're leaving to use your guidance in the spring to come and plant your corn. And, and what you have is uh, uh, non-intersecting growing zones of your cover crop sure. and your cash crop. And we've seen that uh, we've at least uh, eliminated a good portion of the yield uh, gap that we normally would see where there was antagonistic interaction between uh, CRI and corn due to immobilization. An- another strategy um, is that we, we're investigating uh, overwintering legumes, right? Mm-hmm. Primarily Balanza clover, crimson clover, and hairy vetch. And we found that Balanza clover is very impressive uh, be- because it has the ability to overwinter similar to cereal, like every time. Mm-hmm. You might not see it in the fall. That's one weakness. In the fall, it's so little, it's not going to give you erosion control, mm. right? So you might want to mix it. Sure. Um, but it comes back vigorously uh, in the spring, and it puts on, if you can get over 3,000 uh, pounds per acre of biomass, you're going to get over 150 pounds of nitrogen uh, that that has been fixed from the atmosphere. So what does three thousand pounds of biomass look like? <laughs> that looks Come like on, it's, it's up mean, to your waist. Up to my waist. I'm it's, six foot four, so it's, okay, it's, it's up to your knees. And all this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that, Dad. <laughs> all right, it's not that short, but uh, at any rate. Uh, but but it's it's up to your waist. Sure. Uh, and you have to use some energy to walk through the canopy. You just sure. can't just glide through. You have to actually put force to walk through it, right? And it's going to be a thick canopy, um, that nitrogen, the CNN ratio, would you believe this, uh, from 11 to 16 with 300 pounds per acre biomass. So that means it's That's quite m- low. So that, I mean, for those that don't, not are familiar <laughs> with that, right? Whereas a CRI, what, 40 to 1, something like that? It could be. If you yeah. let it go and try to plant green, it's going to Yeah, be so higher. more carbon again, yes. for those that don't know, yes. you know, higher carbon to nitrogen, that's where you're really going to get in that immobilization or tying right. up the nitrogen right. and sulfur for that matter. So down at, down at CPAC, um, for two years in a row, we've seen when we applied only 40 pounds at starter. Mm-hmm. We, had, we got a 52 bushel uh, greater uh, bushels for Balanza clover relative to cereal Sure. Right. And that's because the cereal is, like we've talked about, it's doing its job, scavenging that nitrogen. It's only giving back 10%. But that Balanza clover is fixing nitrogen. Uh, and it's probably re- reducing the leaching potential. Um, meaning that it takes more rainfall to make nitrogen leach because it's, it's trans-evaporation. But it's fixing nitrogen, and then it's giving it back quickly because of the low CNN ratio. Sure. So that's, that's, that's where you get into the start of you, you got two rotations to think about. You can rotate your, your cover crops uh, to, to satisfy your cash crop. Yeah. So with that, I mean, we preach do your homework. And do your homework. Yeah. I mean, we're just getting into barely talking about a couple cover crops and a nitrogen yeah. management system. There's uh, the erosion side of it. There's phosphorus. Yeah. But, I mean, just really today I think we want to just tickle the interest of, uh, okay, what's out there? What's the benefits of that? There's some great resources. But, I mean, think about CRI, high carbon to nitrogen ratio. Yes. But that could have some issues with your nitrogen um, right. management in, in the corn. And, honestly, on the, on the soybean side, I've had some – 
you know, if it goes too much, too much biomass, that we can have some similar issues because soybeans are using the nitrogen from the soil. If it's immobilized, uh, that can cause some issues, and we can manage for that. Mm -hmm. But it's just realizing what the what that cover crop is really doing for you. And so then, if you mix it with something, and we're talking carbon right now uh, to help with that nitrogen supply issue, that's that's you doing your homework. Right, and 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 you know, doing your homework, uh, know your your cash crop. Sure. Know the, what your cash crop needs. Know when the demand is going to peak, mm -hmm. right? And you want to manage your cash crop to uh, get out of the way, your, your cover crop to get out of the way of the cash crop, yeah. right? Only only assist mm -hmm. and, and, and not compete against your, your growing cash crop because that's where uh, you put food on the table. And so, right. you, again, system, right, system. One of the big things that I see uh, with this, we want to, you know, build up carbon right and so because ultimately what that gets to is not the the single season it's the season upon season mm -hmm. of building organic matter in soil and so there's no doubt there's huge benefits on you think about water holding capacity you think yes. about nutrients cc yes. so there's huge benefits out of that but we also have to be mindful of how to manage it in the current season mm -hmm. an example i have is we had a study over in tipton county and a 40 50 acre field and with or without uh sulfur on uh, a cereal rye that was burned down at you know 16 inches tall mm. and we had 12 bushel responses to that sulfur because i think it helped overcome some of the this immobilization we've talked about on nitrogen and sulfur so right. i think there's just right. how do you manage for that right yeah i think you know thinking about cover crops you know um one important point that i like looking at when you know as i get started here at purdue and, and shalimar's done a, a great job with this too is just it has to work agronomically you know mm -hmm. cover crops you know they have a lot of good benefits they do a lot of good things and you know they're important for a lot of things but if they harm that that cash crop whether it be corn or, or soybeans um you know then that deters a lot of folks from using them down the road That's so right. um you know are kind of you mentioned some of this but again you know i've had farmers tell me i will never put cereal rye in front of my corn you're crazy mm -hmm. um, but i've had farmers that say you know cereal rye is all i can use you know whether it be i get delayed harvest you know with poor drainage it's just all i can get established um, you know from a cereal rye standpoint because you said it's kind of dummy proof you know <laughs> you just throw it out there you could throw it out on a gravel lot and it'd probably it establish grew, and get it, it grew in the back of my truck <laughs> when i had some seeds yeah. waste out of a um, bag you know it's one of the easier <laughs> ones to use but is there kind of some tips to um you know whether it be you need to terminate in a timely fashion if you put it even in front of corn or beans um is there things that to really pay attention to with that cover crop um, yeah, I think one thing that we overlook often, and that's some work, but I think we could do a better job maybe in the future, some collaboration, it, mm -hmm. is uh, understanding the seeding rate. Do mm -hmm. you really need 45 pounds per acre mm -hmm. of cereal to do its job, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, in central Illinois, one, one of our studies, um, we've always terminated uh, two weeks before planting. So I always wanted to be aggressive. So that means that before elongation occurs, before the boost state, stage, and if you think about before it's up to your, your knee, mm -hmm. right, you're terminating, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, we've averaged about 1,200 pounds per acre of biomass, right, uh, which equates to about um, 23 to 40 pounds of nitrogen in the biomass, which then equates to greater than 30% reduction in nitrate loss via mm -hmm. tile drainage relative to the control. So you're not talking about 4,000 pounds per acre. 
-hmm. uh, and we're getting a really nice reduction in nitrate loss, right? But here's the other thing. Um, you know, 1,200 uh, pounds per acre of CRI biomass above ground versus 3,000, that's a that's a totally different story mm -hmm. as it relates to uh, nitrogen cycling, sulfur mm -hmm. cycling, uh, and release, right? And so you're talking about a, a very slow release because your seeding ratio is going to be above 20, right? Um, and you're going to be highly dense. Uh, your planter uh, system is going to have to be impeccable, um, trash whippers and so forth. Your closing wheel has to be great. Uh, because the roots of the cereal, will, it's, you know, it restricts the movement of the soil. Mm -hmm. All of those things have to be considered. So I would say, you know, do you need 45 pounds or can you get away with 20, mm -hmm. right? Um, and another thought is, um, you know, people, some, some people are planting green, right? And I, and, and I you're not talking about the equipment at that point. You're talking – it's not case or deer we're talking about now. You're planting right. you know, chest high, the seal right. Relative to yeah. terminating the, the seal yeah. right. Now um, – I just if, start cringing. I'll just be honest. If you that. have the right – I've seen people do it. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're not new to it, of course. Sure. They're, they're well experienced, and they understand. I've seen farmers uh, roll a crimp mm -hmm. in one direction, and the key is you got to come back and plant in the same direction mm -hmm. while, while the cereal is laying down. So at that point, it's like straw. So it, it lays down. Uh, you crimp it because it's more reproductive than vegetative. Hollow stem, it breaks. But you have to plant in the direction that you roll a crimp, right? Um, I, I've seen um, farmers plant and then terminate, right, mostly mm -hmm. with soybean. Um, and, and there's some logic to that if you don't have the so the microbes is what break down the, the the residue in the system and if that plant is standing up then the above ground portion is not um able to be broken down so you might get a good start with your your corn uh growing and then that immobilization won't won't happen uh immediately because the activity of the microbes has not been um, excited by that new carbon that's laying down in addition to what's in the roots, mm -hmm. right? So, so we're still trying to figure out <laughs> that whole ecosystem, that whole cycle, and, and we're close. But it, it's, uh, there are a lot of management considerations to, to think about. You're listening to the Purdue Crop Chat podcast, and uh, we, we've got to take a break here. But there were a couple of words that you said a little while back that I think we just kind of skated right over, and some farmers maybe grabbed onto it. Uh, you said the words yield gap. And I want to come back and touch on that just a moment here after our break, after we thank our sponsors, the Indiana Corn and Soybean Organizations. Planting a seed is an act of faith. And even if it makes it to maturity, Mother Nature and markets determine the value, right? Not when you've got your corn and soybean checkoffs. The checkoff is like a little seed coat of protection. It's like planting a penny to grow a dollar. In fact, with investments in research, new uses, and demand creation, We've seen a $12 return to the farm for every soybean checkoff dollar invested. Check out your Indiana checkoffs at yourcheckoff.org. We're back here on the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Sean Castile is here. Dan Quinn is here. And Shalimar Armstrong is here from Purdue Extension. And uh, Shalimar, I, I mentioned before the break here, we, we, we heard those words, yield gap. Yes. And uh, for some farmers that 
really kind of chase yield that might strike them a little bit um but when you start putting in some of these practices is it fair to say you should expect some sort of yield gap but there are other ways to offset some of those economics yeah so first of all when, when i say yield gap that's defined as the differential between uh if you have um a strip of land where you're planting corn or soybeans without or soybean without the cereal or cover crop uh, versus you planting with and when you do subtraction if you come up negative uh, where you had you, you have less yield uh, where you have uh, the cereal or the, the cover crop then that's that's a gap in yield that you wouldn't have incurred um, if you didn't adopt the the cover crop mm-hmm. um, Yes, when, when you have a, a grass before grass, there are some things, even if it's disease, if, even if it's root rot, uh, even if it's, um, you know, the CRI becoming a bridge, a green bridge for pest, right? Uh, there, there's some risk there, and, and we've seen regionally in a study um, where we had over 400 pairs of, of um, comparison of corn with and without CRI, about a six percent yield yield gap, six, right? Six percent. Six percent yield gap, and um, you know now let let me also preface this by saying um, we who are scientists sometimes are also novice uh, when it comes to managing CRI before corn, right? Um, the, I could I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to a gotten into a pickup truck and rode around the countryside with Farmer Joe. Uh, and and they stop, jump out, tell me to get out, and we look at things that they've done that that I could only dream of doing, right? So I, so I think some of that data that that we were looking at, there are people just starting to experiment. Uh, they saw yield gaps, and it's, it's similar to if a farmer was just starting. Then there's some farmers where they've been doing it for a while, they've made the mistakes, they've taken some risk. And now they have a Rolodex of what to do, what not to do. Their equipment in the barn is set and ready. uh, And they're able to do it without losing. I mean, they're able to close that yield gap themselves. So um, that's that's what I mean, yield gap, is is when you lose yield because you adopt it. I I think with that, I've said for many years that farmers are the first researcher. I mean, they're they're the ones <laughs> that have been experimenting with every version of a planter equipment, creating their own no-till, you yes. know, late Roll season nitrogen app, yeah. all of that. Yes. And so, with this yield gap or this yield difference, we're talking cover crops. We're talking a lot on CLRI right now and carbon and and corn, but I think it's concepts of what we're driving at. If we're looking at a new practice in, in let's go soybean production, we're mm-hmm. looking at C treatment, a, course, ver- C treatment A versus <laughs> C treatment B. That's easy enough to say yes or no, what's the difference? Now, as we talk about cover crop ahead of soybeans, corn, doesn't matter, cover crop with or without, it's not as simple because there's extra level of management that has to so go right. with that. And so uh, I definitely have seen yield gaps, if you will, yield differences with the cover crop. I've also seen the other side that, okay, if we tweak it a little bit more, mm-hmm. add a little bit more intense management to it, it could probably yield as well, if not better in many cases. So yes. um, I'm definitely, like Eric talks about this yield gap, I'm sensitive to that because I don't want to give a practice or a recommendation to a grower mm-hmm. that's going to cause them yield deficit. But it's, okay, we're not going whole hog on the farm with this. Right. Let's catch a field or parts of a field and learn from it because 
every year that let's just do cereal rye plant in the fall terminate in the spring and that's all you're doing there's going to be three years in a row that you have three different ways of managing that because yeah. you're learning yeah so for example and and, and dan you could jump in here one one, one adaptive management um, that became obvious is if the cereal rye is going to take up uh, a large portion of nitrogen that normally uh, that corn or soybean that's in the sense of corn uh, you would would depend on then you're going to have to supply some portion of that if you want that corn to start off with a you know an even playing ground so so then one of the things that that farmers were doing uh, that we began to research is to add starter two by two right uh, and they may add some sulfur with that <laughs> they may add some phosphorus with that but it's essentially um, in a year where you're not getting heavy spring rainfall to mitigate the you know uh, the starter effect we we've seen greater nitrogen uptake early in early vegetative growth uh, which then uh, trans translated in some cases especially in a um, moderately well drained and above soil greater yield mm -hmm. because we had started there relative to not having starter uh, because that starter offset some of the nitrogen that the cereal did its job and took and scavenged and did not give back on it only gave back five percent so you make up the mm -hmm. difference with the starter yeah uh, yeah it, i totally agree you know from an agronomist standpoint you know shalimar's talking about the the yield gap and one interest of mine you know I did a, my whole PhD research in Kentucky was on this, trying to eliminate that yield gap. And Shalimar has been doing this for a long time too. And, you know, something, as soon as I got here to Purdue, I said, I want to work with Shalimar right away because there's things, this yield gap doing everything we can from an agronomic management standpoint that would, you know, they've been so much work done in the past of CRI does this to the soil. It's beneficial in this way. It removes nitrate from the soil and so on. But now we're switching we need to make it work agronomically too yes. and there's a lot of questions that we have on that aspect um, so i have a lot of research with shalimar even starting this year you know looking at you know starter is one of the biggest things we've seen especially in a two by two more so than an infer or pop-up because you mm -hmm. need that amount of nitrogen you need 30 40 50 pounds yes. um, in a starter instead of you know only a few in a in a pop-up starter fertilizer um, and two is you know starting next year look at planter equipment you you mentioned right. closing wheels earlier maybe look at closing wheels you think about hair pinning where that that rye can get in that seed furrow and how that impacts emergence and you know i've looked in the past the fungicides and um, sulfur is another big question you know on the soybeans and corn front and you know how we manage our nitrogen how we time our nitrogen you're, you know, there's just so many questions that we need to look at agronomically how we can eliminate some of that yield gap. But it's important to understand that you can't just go out and just have the normal management you've always had in the past and just plant and manage like you would in the past mm -hmm. if you have cover crops in the system. You need to, you need to like Sean said, maybe just have it in a field and, and try different things and, and kind of fine-tune things. You know, there's farmers in the southern part of the state that are just phenomenal cover crop managers and know i learned from them <laughs> you know the things they're doing it's it's unbelievable but there's a lot of folks that are just starting and you know you can't just do things you the way you've you've always done them in the past you have to kind of constantly learn and upgrade and mm -hmm. and change things agronomically right if there's one thing shalomar this coming spring that you would 
you know, give to growers that either have cover crops out there or those that don't, right? Those that don't, maybe this is a good observation of, hey, what does it look like? Go to the neighbor that has it and kind of learn if they're willing to share. Mm -hmm. But let's maybe go with the one that does have a cover crop. Is there anything that you've seen from this fall's establishment this winter that you're concerned about? Or it's just like, you know, be timely that once we get, you know, three or four days of good 50 degree weather, let's terminate. What, what's your like one thing going into the spring as they prepare they should be mindful of? I would say, you know, be sensitive to your, your cover crop. <laughs> sensitive, we got sensitivity training, like is that emotional. what you're saying? That sounds yeah. Eric, Eric needs this. You know, he made just, me call Debbie Downer for yeah, for many just, podcasts. <laughs> he went to Donnie. So he needs to go to the same sensitivity be training. Sensitive. Be no, sensitive. Be sensitive. Be, be mindful. You, you planted it. Um, we, we had a lot of rain. It, it got cold fast. You might not have the growth, so it could be in the back of your mind. You, mm -hmm. you, you out of sight, out of mind. But listen, if if that's an overwintering cover crop, it's it's not dead. Mm -hmm. It's gonna come back, and it's and when it gets this, its heat units, it's gonna come back with some vigor. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you're thinking. So Aline Kledifko found that in in a two week period, your biomass can triple. Sure. With cereal, and I found the same thing with Balanza clover. So uh, it's there. Uh, it's still viable and it's gonna grow vigorously. So uh, get in the truck, drive by, step out, right? If, if you know, you wanna, if you're going into corn and you, you wanna be sensitive about, that's that word again, sensitive, mm -hmm. about, you know, what stage is that cereal in, sure. right? You, if, it's, if it's above your knee, um, okay, you, you couldn't catch it, you terminate it then, um, if you can, Give it some time for to to start browning. That's the best way, right? And then plant into it, okay? But when you plant, remember, whatever it took up, if it took up 20 pounds, uh, it, it's only going to give back two pounds. So immediately, you, like growing immediately season, yeah. during during that particular growing season. The other is going to contribute to your organic matter, right? You may can take advantage of some of the carbon. But for that corn that you plant after that termination, you need to supplement. You need to supplement. So, so don't manage your corn blindly. You know that you had um, cereal growing. Uh, you planted it this fall. It's going to grow vigorously uh, based on, you know, how big it is. If it's above your knee, you need to think about there will be some immobilization, okay? How do I offset that? Sure. There are a couple ways. Uh, you, some, some farmers are doing pre-plant pre nitrogen, right? Uh, or you could do it at planting. Or you can offset um, at side dress. I like to think early better, especially if, I know you can't predict the rainfall, but early better, right? That vegetative growth, uh, that plant makes up its mind, and Dan can speak to this, makes up its mind early. So you want it to be in an environment to say optimum yield, right? And so just be watchful, be vigilant, look at it, drive by it, walk in it, right? And I think, you know, farmers are innovative. They'll be able to make the correct uh, adaptive management decision. The and thing that the crosses my mind, uh, a very active cover cropper years ago made the comment, and I think it's an active, uh, this is not my world to do as much cover crop management, but you know, the idea of knowing when to terminate and there's there's tools and goals for each one of those. I'm definitely more of the two weeks ahead or no more than mm -hmm. 16 inches. So, you know, the comment he made was, if I've already uh, mowed my lawn once, I probably should be getting that sprayer ready twice. I should have already terminated because that kind of gives it a nice little indication yes. of like, okay, if I got my uh, cool season grass that's growing, guess what? Cereal yeah. rye is too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, 
And, and I put all this in the mind of we got double the price nitrogen, we got potential herbicide issues in terms of supply. And if you've got cover crops, boy, be sure you're spraying when it's actively growing and when you have the most bang for your buck with the limited herbicide we've got or yes. the nitrogen supply. Yes. Dan, you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, we didn't really mention this much, but, you know, another big thing with cover crops and why there's interest in it too is to hopefully maybe reduce some of the herbicide mm-hmm. herbicide needs with mm-hmm. you know the lack of motive actions coming out and you know, issues with herbicides but you mentioned you know typically glyphosate is used to terminate a lot of these cover crops and mm-hmm. what's the biggest herbicide we're having issues with is glyphosate um so making sure you know especially when you're getting started don't let that cover crop just get out of hand and then you can't kill it and then you're just you know that corn is is just off to a bad start and it's just mm-hmm. a bad year um so being on yeah. top of things yeah sure. I, I just want to uh, add a plug to a tool that i contribute to it's called the cover crop analyzer and and uh, if you google that you're going to find uh that is linked to 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 u of i but the you know the groundwork of data that informs the the tool is is from purdue it's from the work that we've done at purdue and, and in illinois um but it allows you as a farmer to go in kind of set what your management is and then to visualize how cereal only how cereal will grow uh, at your geographic location mm-hmm. right and and then it allows you to play with the the termination window so if I terminate two weeks before I, I plan to plant uh, I can see what the biomass is I can see what the neutral loss reduction is uh, I can see what the CNA ratio is but then you can move a sliding bar. You can move the needle to say, if I want to wait and I'm going soybean, I want to wait and try to plant green, what's the differential between um, two weeks before planting of thinking about corn versus waiting and letting it go two more weeks, right? You can see how that biomass would increase. You can also see how the CNN ratio would change and increase and your nutrient loss reduction uh, percentage would also increase. So it's just a tool that farmer can play with on his phone or iPad to, to just play around with visualizing what would happen if. So you can play with all of those scenarios. Shalimar, I've got a hunch that this conversation isn't going away. I mean, we're like over 40 minutes in, and Dan's bringing up new topics here. So, <laughs> know. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got a hunch that we might just have to have you back. Well, that would be great. Uh, if, I have fun. If then Dan we can and Sean actually talk about you. soybeans at that point. It would be great. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I, I just get the message as corn's weaker. It takes a little bit more management. The, the, the theory's you know, sensitive. We have quite a it's bit. Sen- of it's sensitive. Sensitive. There you go. Is that just uh, highlighting that maybe Sean's job's a little easier? You know, oh. I, I, I have oh. to pay more attention. Oh, to he's learned oh, from wow. me. I've said those same things to to him. I think. Well, gentlemen, again, uh, you know, if if Dan and and Sean decide to invite you back, I would welcome more conversation on this. This is a, a really interesting topic, and, and again, it's it's not going away anytime soon uh, with all of the carbon talk and, and conservation t- it's it's just it's going to continue so Shalmar thank you so much for joining us today thank you glad to be mm-hmm. here Sean Dan any final thoughts here uh, I, I think that planting progress of corn and soybeans are even right now neck and neck yield potential is the same <laughs> um, I, I will make one final one comment it's actually on the, the small grains of wheat side we had a lot of a lot of snow that came over the last week or two, 8, 10, 12 inches, but then there's other areas that got freezing rain, and now we're getting melt. So I, I just put the, the caution out there that you know, you've got fields that are 
um, melting down the snow and then turns off freezing again. They got ponded areas. Be on the lookout for those on the winter wheat and probably also on the cover crops, I dare say, that are grass, maybe legumes. But whenever you've got frozen ponded water mm -hmm. spots in the field, you're limiting this, this diffusion barrier. So you're actually limiting oxygen and the roots. And so you're going to have some potential issues with the stands of wheat and I dare say probably cover crops as well. So just be on the lookout for those pockets that are, have frozen uh, ponds. Cover crops are tough. No, oh, they are? Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> Dan. No, I think, um, you know, we'll see what, what spring brings. Um, you know, listening to Beth, our climatologist, you know, potentially we're in a La Nina right now and that potentially we could have kind of a similar spring that we've seen in the past. So, so maybe it may be a little bit earlier um, that we've seen in the past and having adequate conditions for spring, but uh, we're gearing up for spring. Um, it'll be here before we know it. So It's not that far away. Yeah, it really <laughs> isn't that far away. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Dan Quinn and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The Checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension, and Hoosier Ag Today, timely, relevant, credible.